0: is a podcast of Tennessee Voices about mental health, featuring stories of people who have overcome mental health challenges, as well as those who have helped people overcome mental health challenges. This podcast is about authenticity, and it's intended to give a voice to those who are passionate about mental well-being. We hope that by sharing stories, listeners understand mental health and just how important it is in our day-to-day lives and they will help us reduce stigma. We want you to know that so many who have struggled with mental health can and did overcome their challenges. And if you are struggling, you can too. I'm your host, Ricky Harris, CEO of Tennessee Voices, and with me is my favorite co-host, Will Voss, COO of Tennessee Voices. Welcome to our podcast, Let's Get Candid. We're super excited for this episode of Candid. I am here with my co-host, Will Voss.
1: And today, we have,
0: hey, hey, today we have a guest that uh, we are, Will and I are really excited to talk to you today, Monty, because there is like something in the air, like things are swirling, conversations about mental health and spirituality have just been like oozing in the last few. 48 hours, but for me, for the last couple of months. So let's start with this. You introduce yourself. Tell us what you do, what your title is, where you work, and why your shirt says continue. But anyway.
2: Absolutely. So my name is Monty Burks. I'm the Director of Faith-Based Initiatives with the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. My job is to connect our faith communities to the behavioral health care continuum and to help them build uh, recovery ministries, be part of the recovery conversation, understand the continuum of care prevention, treatment, recovery, criminal justice, all of that is part of this uh, unique, amazing story that's gonna be one of the greatest stories ever told as it continues to unfold uh, throughout the course of our history. You know, we're, we're all boots on the ground from the beginning to where we are now, we've seen it all. So that's actually part of what continued means. It means our story continues. That's what recovery means. Um, you know, sometimes people's false narrative, not understanding what recovery actually means Uh, They think that that we've recovered because they tell us that we have or that we've been through a program or we went through a a 12 step, but the story continues. It continues to continue. Um, And, you know, and that's what that means. And that's how it correlates with my work is our faith communities are connected across all of these different veins in the communities to help the story continue. Because long after all three of us are gone, those faith communities are still going to be standing. Um, And we have to make sure we have resources for them so the stories can keep going.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love that shirt, by the way. I, I just think that I have a friend who has the semicolon tattoo.
2: Yep. that's what it means. Just conti- A, not to be continued, just continuing now. Yes.
0: That's right. that's right. And you work for the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, and you've been there for how long?
2: I've been there for eight years in this role. Um, before I worked for the department, I did contract work for the department as the one of the original Project Lifeline coordinators, which is a program that I actually oversee now. I was one of the first ones that was tasked of reducing the stigma related to the disease of addiction, so we went out and kind of planted seeds and tilled soil for some time uh, to start the conversations on what the other side of addiction looked like. And we, you know, evolved to being the voice behind people with mental health issues, mental health concerns, mental health awareness. And I know, I know we're going to talk about all of that, but it's kind of the all of the work is it's behavioral health. It's all of us together fighting the same fight. We just have to take it from different angles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: You know, Monty, you talk a lot about um, uh, your Project Lifeline and you mentioned something that is it's been a topic for a number of years. You said the d- disease of addiction. Now, some people say that, you know, addiction isn't a, a disease and some say that it is. Why do you personally call it a disease?
2: Brain science, man. Uh, follow the science, you know, look at look at what, you know, me, myself, I'm personally I'm in recovery. I've spent 21 years free from the bondage. It almost destroyed me and my family. So in my recovery walk, I tried to quit it. Obviously, you know, I was like, hey, maybe I should stop using, but every time I stopped using, I didn't understand the cravings, the anxiety, the depression, or the withdrawals. All of these things happened to me, which are, are technically, you know, it was because I had retrained my brain to act a certain way. I had changed the chemistry in my brain. Later, uh, through through research, development, and me sitting down, just asking those honest questions and listening to some other professionals. Um, I found out that this is what this caused to my body, this cognitive internal trauma. And then I'm also a person, I have a stent in my, in my chest. I've got a stent in my heart, a heart attack a few years, quite a while back. And I, I found out that you can change and alter your body's chemistry with intake. They can produce an outcome. And it's the same way with drug use. And it's still, it, that's where the disease comes from. And so to those who are on the fence that don't really understand that respectfully, let's not divide ourselves on that part of it. And let's figure out like we're, we're part, we contribute things that cause these things. And there's also some genetic factors. Let's just figure out how we can work together to figure that out because the arguments always come respectfully. It's almost like the comment section versus uh, common sense. Um, and I, I don't ever let any comment, uh, comment section rhetoric uh, determine how I treat other people. And then that, that way it, it, it kind of shapes the conversation a little different. I'm also super conservative from very rural America. Um, I get it. Sometimes people have different backgrounds, different different um, different educational backgrounds, different expertises, and different professions. So I can understand why the person that doesn't is not involved in the scientific world might not understand or believe when somebody says addiction is a disease because the only side of addiction they've seen is somebody doing something to them, or taking something from them, or hurting someone in their family. So finding those comfortable correlates through cultural competent conversation, um, we've been able to find that, you know what, maybe we see it different, but we still have the same goal. Our purpose is to try to combat it. Mm.
0: This is why I was so excited to have you on, because I knew you would come straight to your personal experience. And that is what this podcast is all about, is talking to people who are willing to share their life experience. In order to help someone else. So your story of recovery, you just kind of briefly laid it out for us. But how how did you how did you get to the point of being 21 years? You said? Yes. Recovery uh, I, I,
2: look, great question. So I'm, I'm gonna answer the question in a couple of different ways. But one is I wanna give credit to to you, Ricky, and Will. It's people like you that help my story continue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have the space. To openly talk about my vulnerabilities and what I've been through, and if it wasn't for people like you that were willing to understand and, and stop sweeping me under the rug and then trying to tell my story, um, I think that the part a lot of my recovery process was I've always I was a radical out there on the streets. I'm gonna be a radical in my recovery. Um, it is what it is. I'm loud. I've always been loud. I've, you know, I come from a martial art background and punching and kicking since I was born. Um, when I needed help, I couldn't find anybody to talk to because people didn't. Everybody was quiet. And I know anonymity is a great piece of the recovery community. But the other side of that was I couldn't find the leadership I needed. I needed to to see people say that this is what the other side of addiction looks like. Okay. I live with a mental health concern, but I cope, I deal, I I manage all of these other things. People needed to tell that story. And I think our culture at one point, uh, we were more of a law and order culture. I'm talking about the TV show. Every time we talked about addiction, all you saw was people like hiding their purse or, or, or incarcerating somebody. It was always one of these, these super dramatic stories, but not the real side of this thing is it's like human, this is human capital. Like these are people that, that are going down this, this drain. Um, and so I was, the, the reason I was able to to, to to get ahead of and stay ahead of and still constantly stay connected with the recovery community and my sobriety was because I found people like you. My, one of my college professors was the first person that I reached out to. He got me to go back to school. Some of his words were, this is the beginning of your career. When I told him that I said, I'm, I'm going through something, man. I've got to go through a treatment program. I don't even know what treatment, even call it wasn't even called treatment, call it was called something else. When I told him I was going to go through a program. He said, cool, learn everything you can from it. He said, because this would, this would be what you can build your career off of. He didn't realize that he was a revolutionary visionary before we even had people like you, Ricky, that do the same thing with everybody that walks through your doors. You coach them into saying, listen, this is your game. You figure out how to play your four quarters, and the outcome is going to be your win no matter what happens. Um, and so I had those people in my life. And that's what kept me you know, moving and, and going and continuing. If it had not been for people like you and if it wasn't for people like you guys, we wouldn't exist because the world would continue to put people in a box that was different and keep them in that box and then tell the story about the box while not letting the box tell its own story.
1: Wow. Uh,
0: I, I've got to absorb that. Let the box tell its own story. I mean, I, I'm i just thinking about the number of times I sat and listened to someone speak about someone else's journey and and that it gives me chills because it was so motivating to Will and I to have the people tell us about their journey. That's that's really amazing. And, and, and Your
2: name, faces and voices like these p- people have a voice. You know, it's cool to see people on a mural and, and it's great. But let's hear their voice. Let's let's let them tell their story. I love when people from the outside and other disciplines tell our story. Respectful. But. Every once in a while, they get their verbiage wrong, the terminology wrong. They use words that may trigger a person that's not part of this community to look at us a certain way through the whole story. So with the wrong language, the wrong little itty bitty dive into something that's too criminal justice related or too incarceration related or too something, the person's going to the whole time they're going to treat me or my conversation about me, how they look at me. How you look at somebody is how you treat them. So if you, don't, if you look at them as less than a human being or somebody that's less than or you feel great, I don't want you to be sympathetic toward me. I want you to be empathetic with me. Um, and that's letting the box tell its own story.
3: Monty, you know, you talk about words and, and stories and hearing voices. It, it's, you know, hearing people's stories. You've got a powerful story. I hope you know that. And it's something that stood out earlier, you know, we so often say, you know, being on your mental health journey or your recovery journey, and earlier on this call, you called it a walk, your recovery walk. And it made me think, you No, know, maybe that's how we need to start approaching this. Letting people know, hey, this journey may take a while and you don't have to hop on it and, and start running. Think of it as a walk. Think of it as a walk.
2: It's Why a walk, think yes. About building muscle memory. So you crawl, then you walk, then you run. It's a step-by-step process. Sometimes how we've got to crawl to it means we're at the bottom of the barrel. We hit rock bottom. Then we have to crawl to stand. And then we have to stand and then we walk. Um, I, I, I correlate my recovery journey. My walk is building muscle memory like you build it in a gym. Each day I have to lift and push and pull and, and remove the bad and continue to add the good and know that it's an ever-evolving World we live in, which means relapse triggers take new forms and new faces. Uh, be always aware of what those relapse triggers are, what they can be, what they could be. And then part of my recovery uh, wheel is, you know, I hit all twelve uh, after my twelve step. I go back and look, and it all meant something different to me because my scales off of my eyes have been removed. So now I can go back and re reevaluate those twelve and be able to articulate that to somebody else as I walk. And walk with them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, You know, you guys know I'm a. I'm a, I'm a church guy. I, you know, I'm from the Christian faith. I stand proud of my faith. I work with people who don't believe what I believe. Actually, I work with a lot of people who don't believe in anything. Cool. Let's have a cup of coffee. Pass me some queso. That's the way I roll with that. I don't. I, that is not. That want. does not. Yeah, that does not bother me at all. As a matter of fact, I think that the things that uniquely separate us can actually pull us together in a centric point to save somebody's life. Uh, because I can't reach everybody, and I know I can't. It's, it's not mm-hmm. going to happen. But, you know, understanding other cultures uh, may help us be able to open those doors. But man, there's something powerful about a group of people to sit down in a room and can get away from all differences and focus on a purpose and then help somebody help themselves. Like that's that's the most amazing, you know, godly gift uh, that, that has ever been given to any of us. Uh, my buddy, Kirk Johnson, he's a lifeline coordinator. He calls it the gift of desperation. Um, and I, I agree with him uh, because we've desperately tried to figure out ways to get in, get ahead of the opioid epidemic and then what came after the opioid epidemic. And then the stigma around mental health is one of the other things, because, because people are so quick. to go, girl, you crazy, boy, you crazy. You crazy. Girl. I can't believe he acting like that. Why don't you just pull yourself up? You ain't, you ain't depressed. You just better get happy. Now we know that it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the process is much more intricate but having those 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 dual and tri and quad voices come in from different communities and different aspects we can look at a holistic part of a person and be like you know what I'm a fitness guru I'm a mental health coach I'm a I'm a speaker I'm a mechanic all four of us have a different role in helping somebody rebuild their lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love what you said about that centric point coming together putting differences aside. This is kind of what the podcast is too is we're we're going to talk about mental health and we're going to talk about substance abuse. We're going to talk about whatever makes you feel any kind of way outside of what you think should be normal, right? But then we're also at the same time on the podcast going to celebrate those differences between us because it takes all of us. And I personally find a lot of joy in learning about other people's culture and their differences or backgrounds and who they are and what what makes them tick and so I'm we have like zoned zoom straight in on your life and the and the depth of your um you know recovery and all that kind of stuff I want to zoom out for a second because I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm if I close my eyes Monty I hear my brother-in-law who is from Pierpart, Louisiana and I'm going like Monty, Monty sounds like my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law's Cajun. My brother-in-law speaks French and he, tell me, who is Monty? What is your story? What's your background? What's your culture? What do you do? What do you like? Yeah, I,
2: <laughs> I love it. I love you Hear the Cajun in me. So my, my mother was born in New Orleans. Um, my family, part of my family migrated up from that part of the country uh, many moons ago. But they, we still have a lot of those um. Uh, traditional ways, especially Mm -hmm. with our cooking, we can get down with the get down, Uh, (laughs) we can fry
1: We'll be right back after this short break. TN Voices is now hiring qualified applicants to fill positions all across the state. You can be part of a growing team that puts the mental health of Tennesseans first and thrive in a compassionate work environment. To apply to join our team, log on to TNVoices.org employment. Welcome back.
2: Over to everybody's neighborhoods and everybody knew everybody. So I grew up in the, you know, in the South, um, very, very wonderful uh, culture. I'm country as I don't know what, man. My, uh, my family are martial, martial arts people. Um, I'm still I'm still a uh, I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's actually one of the longest. um, It's one of the longest uh, classes you have to take or trainings you have to take to become a black belt. It's eight to 12 years is what it takes. It took me a little bit over 10 years to get that. I still teach Jiu Jitsu. I work with some of our uh, actually I work with a lot of people in the mental health and the substance abuse community. I try to get everybody to figure out these alternative ways to expend that energy. Um, And, you know, martial arts actually got one of our guys. We just gave him a uh, we just uh, he just got a new belt. and he's a. He's a person with lived experience and tells a story all over the world. Um, And I've been an MMA guy. I fought in the MMA arena for some time. I won a couple of big championships. Uh, You can Google my name. You can check me out on there. I ain't going to go into that, but it was fun times for me. Yes, it was fun times for me. Um, But, you know, that's that's who I am. Uh, You guys see me. You know me. I wear a suit and tie all the time, but the majority of the work I do is in a T-shirt and a hat. Um, I'm super recovery centric. I grew up, I didn't have a lot growing up. So we worked from the bottom to make, our, to make things for ourselves. So I understand that um, sometimes I think my, my growing up has helped me understand that all communities are not going to always be the same, but it doesn't make one equal or greater than or less than the other. Uh, it's incumbent on me as a person that has access to resources to make sure I translate on both sides how these resources work. Uh, so I think that that's a blessing that's come from my upbringing. I'm also biracial. Uh, my mother's African American. My father's Caucasian, German, Irish. Um, my mother's part Native American, African American. So I have a unique heritage. I love it. I embrace all of my wonderful things that I have going on. Um, I, I wish I could cook in all of those uh, all <laughs> those different cultures. I cannot. Um, but the but the part that came up from the from the, the we call it the dirty dirty. That's New New Orleans. Uh, we call it the dirty the dirty dirty south. The Louisiana stuff came up with me. And that's where you pick up a little bit of that accent. All I can say in French, though, is probably um, the rest of that is I don't even if you answer me, I don't even know what you say. Um, so <laughs> so that's, a little, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> Please feel free to ask um, any questions that you want to ask. I'm I'm, I'm proud um, to be who I am, where I'm from, the things I went through. I don't glorify my bad parts of my past, but I'm not afraid to tell the story because I know it can, it can connect somebody uh, to a better lifestyle.
0: Hmm. I, I there's so many things you just said. I want to, I want to say first the part you were talking about. We all went our different ways on Sunday. We were talking about being in a household with uh, mom and dad on two religious differences. Right? It immediately made me think of the the quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that Sunday still is the most segregated day. (laughs) I I want to say, even said like Sunday at the eleven o'clock hour because that was like the most common time for you know our church services. Um, I'm seeing a change in that in my church, but I'm 40, so until recently, I didn't. I still saw what Martin Luther King Jr. was saying. He saw. What about you? What about you, Will? Is that is that true in your world?
3: You know, we, that quote has always stuck with me for so long. Um, And uh, I think, you know, people have looked at it as, yes, this is the most segregated day of the year based on how much we're, we put a focus on um, religion versus Mm -hmm. spirituality. Mm -hmm. And we think of, well, what denomination are you? What denomination are you? I grew up CME. Um, Very, very small population of us now grew up going to Baptist churches. um, And then now, you know, it's non-denominational. So people are trying to figure out, well, where do I fit in? And, you know, I I push a lot of my friends and family to think of where are you getting fed the most? Where where, where do you feel like you you found and connected to a great teacher? And you feel that, you know, this church is a good family to provide that support in my time of need, no matter what it is, you know, and and really blending, hey, are we talking about mental health, you know, in the faith-based background? You know i hear more and more uh, leaders of, of faith-based organizations putting it in their sermons and letting you know their their congregation and followers know that hey this is important to talk about you got to keep that at the forefront of your mind as well you know Monty, you mentioned a lot of um, old things that that i've heard in the black community you know as far as all right don't talk about it or hold your purse they're addicted to drugs and we see that conversation changing um and and it lets you know it's a good feeling to be able to say you know what not where we want to be but we have come a long way as far as how we're talking about addiction how we're talking about mental health and other co-occurring disorders um and to be a part of that you know monty utilizing your voice i don't think you realize how many people that you have impacted that you probably have never even met yet Um, and I think about, you know, even when I first met you, you've been at the department for eight years and I've been with Tennessee Voices a little over six, people were like, you gotta meet Monty, you gotta meet Monty. I'm like, who is Monty? Who is Monty? And it was just our first initial conversation. You talk about, you know, you come to work dressed up and, hey, this is who you are outside of a hat and t-shirt, but you're presenting yourself in a manner of, with, with humility. This is who I am, no matter what I have on. And this is my story as I'm walking on this journey. So I, I absolutely loved it. And being able to be vulnerable in this moment, I've got to tell you, I appreciate that. And anyone listening definitely, definitely, definitely does as well.
0: And, I'm and I, can, a, I
3: remember, yeah, like,
0: I'm, I'm freaking out because I'm sitting here going like, okay, you're describing this story of being, you know, into household two different religions and 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 now you're in a position of connecting all kinds of faith-based communities on a topic that you're really passionate about and lived experience that that's got to feel like wow my my journey makes so much sense now
2: it does um i go back and look at uh, exodus and moses and Mm -hmm. All of the times that Moses rejected the teaching, rejected the word, he always had his own plan, Uh, but his foot, his footsteps were already ordered. Uh, Sometimes we don't realize that, you know And I mean? This what, you know, I respect our traditions, but I want to speak from mine. Um, I believe that an an anointing is put on all of us to do a certain thing. And then at the right and proper time, when we have come out of the wilderness, wilderness, ready to work, then the appointment will come. And when that appointment comes, whether we want to walk in it or not, we will be used to do a mighty thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I, I I'm thankful to God and, and my family and my friends and people like you, again, I say it to you often that without all of these tools and these resources, our workhouse wouldn't work, uh, because that's, you know, it's, it's a system and, uh, the things that I went through brought me to you. I remember, I can remember the first time I met both of you. Will I remember the first time I met you, man, I met Ricky. I remember the first time I met you at a, at a uh, at a, one of the, the council meetings where they, where the whole state was together. That was the first time I, I met you. And I met Will at a meeting um, and it was here in Nashville. We sit there and talk for a minute. We just kind of chatted it up. I was like, hey, how you doing? We just we talked for a couple of seconds. Um, I think it's important that we all always make those interactions when we interface with each other uh, to put a face with a name. So that when the time comes for us to come out of the wilderness, we know exactly who we are and it's time for us to do the great work. I think there are no introductions that don't go that are. All of us are meant to do something. That's why we met each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I was tickled to death when I was asked to be on your podcast because I was like, I got a lot of respect for you guys. Uh, so I was like, they're gonna let me come on. So I gotta make sure. <laughs> so I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm excited um, to be able to share. I'm also um, I'm, I just want to give you guys a lot of thanks for the hard work you do uh, because you know sometimes communities don't understand or respect the depth of what you do. Uh, I know from even where I work. Sometimes people have no idea. Like, well, what do you do exactly? Cool. Let me explain to you. You guys probably get the same thing. But for me, uh, as a person with lived experience, a person that, that that knows how community structures work, and for me, the person that works for the state, I appreciate and applaud you, your work, your staff, your team. Um, I, you know, I said before the podcast started, I, I love to hear and see things. Um, and you've, you know, you impact me. Um, I know that I have the real super friends. All heroes don't wear capes. Oh, we, we don't. Um, and I say we because I'm one, of, I'm one of the lower end heroes. I'm Ricky. We we already know Ricky's one of the you know, it is what it is. Um, we didn't we, we get I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I had an
3: S on my chest, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, you're funny. You're funny. Well, I'm just, um, we we love what you do too because one of the things that I studied way back in the day when I was still working on my graduate degree, was about how in mental health treatment at the community-based level, there is a desire for people who seek services to get help at, at, at an emotional or behavioral level, but there's also a desire at a spiritual level. And you're taught, you kind of defined a little bit of spirituality, not as religion, but as purpose as meaning as how I'm connected between myself and others. And for some between myself, others, and God. And so you're helping the community kind of bring together. How can your purpose, your spiritual connection, help serve you to be strong in your mental health, help, help move you to a place of finding that great joy in what you do and not getting lost in, you know, difficult things that you can't overcome. And you're, you're out there doing that every day, telling people how to do this, how, how to connect. And I think that's really, that's really amazing. Talk about some of the places you go outside of churches. Where else are you out there?
2: Oh, yes. So, you know, uh, man, I don't even know where to begin. I've been, so I've worked with our synagogues, mosques, temples, uh, street ministries, homeless camps. I've been everywhere. One of the, one of the messages that really resonates with me is to pick up your mat and walk. Um, And there's a lot of people that don't, that haven't had the opportunity for someone to say that to them. To say that no matter, you know, when when we go out in these communities and work with people, I work with a lot of, Tennessee, the majority of our faith-based community is is the churches, is the Christian faith. So that's 87% of the people that I work with are from the Christian faith, but there's still these other small uh, sections or sectors or groups of of communities. But the message is still the same. Uh, No matter how things have happened, no matter how heavy the weight has been, the fact that we can have this conversation now gives us a chance to pick up our mat and walk.
3: Be. You talk Monty, about you know partnering with folks, and you mentioned certified peer recovery specialists earlier, and you yourself are a certified peer recovery specialist. I was so excited when I got a chance to see in the news the other day about another partnership that you had formed to make change, which was partnering with Lipscomb University. Now, sure. it was the only not only was I proud because I went to school there, but because you you did something that was new. For the mental health programs over there at Lipscomb, so talk to listeners a little bit about kind of that collaboration with Lipscomb. What happened, and what's the goal? What's the hope?
2: Man, Dr. Nash, um, she is a she is just a light in the dark, man. She can, man, that, she's your professor, my colleague, my friend. Uh, and I called her my professor yesterday. She was she's she's something else, man. Um, we were able to so the, the the cool thing about this, and I know Ricky, you'll appreciate this. Is one of my faith-based coordinators um, attends Lipscomb University. He's in their Master's of uh, Clinical Social Work program, and he brought the conversation to his class. He started bringing these conversations out because we. One of the things that we do, uh, people that work under the, the programs that I oversee, I push everybody to go back to school. Um, you have lived experience. Let's let's attach that lived experience to your school and see if we can make a comfortable mix because this is how we re. Reinvest into the behavioral healthcare workforce. As yeah. uh, people like you would lived experience, it's such a great opportunity where people with lived experience to become clinicians, licensed clinical social workers, have PhDs, MDs, all of these things coming from people that understand how the system operates from both sides. Understanding that sometimes the textbook, while it's wonderful and great, is only a schematic, and things happen outside of the schematic. Um, but but his, his name is Jamie Harper. He's in the master's program. Actually, he just graduated. We were able to connect the dots with Dr. Witherspoon and bring in one of our other Lifeline peers who has been focusing on recovery allied training. Uh, we had multiple conversations over, during COVID and we said, you know what? Lipscomb campus is going to be a, become a recovery-friendly campus. So we were able to start Bison Recovery. Um, now, now, this the coolest thing about this is Lipscomb is one of our most conservative universities, if not our most conservative university in the state of Tennessee. They were the first university to adopt a recovery ally bison recovery full effect collegiate recovery movement in our state they yeah. did it right there and it was under dr nash's uh leadership uh dr witherspoon nash i told her i, mm-hmm. I got to put saying just that's just the hyphenated part of her last name dr witherspoon nash um it was her leadership and her understanding of how how these things work that we were able to get that done man and you you wouldn't have the 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 um the, the, the feeling, I'm a, college was my access to recovery. I went back to school and that community is what helped keep me clean to get me to where I'm at. You know, i retrained in the brain, man. It's all about building strong brains, right? You can build them when they're young. Sometimes they get not built right. So sometimes you have to strip the car and rebuild it. Um, she understands that we've got students that are coming in that could benefit from this type of community. And now we have this full-fledged recovery community. So that happened. We got six other Collegiate Recovery Academies coming up. That was our first one. We have six other ones coming up over the course of the next four months. Um, it, as long as, you know, of course, the COVID numbers don't, you know, depending on the, the Delta variant and such. But her leadership has caused a butterfly effect that I actually mentioned on the, on a White House call yesterday. I did a webinar for the White House yesterday afternoon. And I talked about how Lipscomb College had adopted a Collegiate Recovery working with a with faith-based initiative. And people still couldn't put together uh collegiate recovery faith-based initiative let me throw something at you will yeah let me throw something at you every single college in our state is surrounded by steeples people that have to go to school don't always get their recovery on campus but they need the congregations around them Mm -hmm. to be the resource they step right off of that ground and go into that aa meeting that na meeting that double trouble that uh that medicated assistant whatever whatever the meeting is whatever the congregation holds it's just another opportunity for access points. On the flip side of that, added straight ministry driven. We are doing ministry work outside the four walls of a sanctuary. That's what we're supposed to do. Fish on the other side of the boat. Fish on the other side of the boat, man. Um, don't give me the preaching. I'm sorry. That's not what the podcast is for. I apologize. Um, that's you know, I'm all I'm all about like reestablishment, like giving people another chance. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it takes more than a second, it might take a third or fourth with yeah. are um, the, the sum of our with the sum of all our experiences sometimes the second chance people don't even see it because everything that's happened to them in their life they can't even accept the second chance They're like, wow somebody really cares enough about me what do they want from me? Wow you know maybe I should go back and ride in bike that I've been trained to ride because this feels better to me and anyway, I'm going back in the aces um, but I'm sorry I get to preaching y'all 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 know how I am I, I, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm real yes. <laughs>
3: Monty, you, you say you get to preach, and I had to kind of realize where I was for a minute because I almost said amen a few times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> receive, Will, receive. Ricky, I know Ricky said it too. I received.
1: <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break. September is suicide prevention month, and there are things each of us can do to help prevent suicide. Every year at this time, Lifeline and other mental health organizations and individuals across the U.S. and around the world raise awareness of suicide prevention. If you are having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-8255 and head to tnvoices.org for mental health resources, including our newly renovated online library. You can to prevent suicide this month and all year long by gaining the tools and knowledge you need to foster better mental health for yourself and those around you. Welcome back.
0: just like round robin, let's go around and say what was your second chance what what was your what was that second chance that made the difference I mean small big it doesn't matter what was that second chance that you always look back and go my gosh I'm grateful that I got that
2: who wants to go first oh I'm looking at Will right now I've got a bunch of second chances yeah I'll tell you what. I'll start. I'll it's start with my, my my biggest second chance was I went to a class that class. I talked to my criminal justice professor. I went to talk to him because I had, at that point I knew I was going to have to. I had, I needed to go to treatment. I had to get out of. I had to stop going to school. I had to get myself together. So I had to stop. Um. He at that point when he told me that this is the beginning of your story of your career. That was the first time anybody had ever said that anything to me like that, and that was the the beginning. That was the the the, the catalyst, the explosion that happened. That was my bang right there. there. Is like this, I can do this. Uh, it wasn't easy, but it's like to me, I felt like he he wasn't going to give me another chance because I failed. But to me, I was the only person that thought I failed was me. It wasn't him. Um, uh, he said, you did, this is your opportunity. So my obstacle became an opportunity because he told me that I could, he told me that I could. So that's my second chance story. That's just, that's one of a million, but that's one that sticks with me pretty, pretty good. I
0: love that. That's awesome. Will, is it there? Or are you, you, yeah, need
2: there? you know, it's plenty of me. The story that
3: really comes to mind is when I, I was graduating from undergrad from old Miss and I could not find a job down there. Howdy, I couldn't find a job down there. I wanted to be in D.C., but I knew I didn't want to go on and get my master's at that time. So I ended up having to move back home. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was that's the second chance. You know, um, it was my parents saying, you know, have faith. It's going to work out. It's going to come to you. Because at that time, I felt that I was losing it. Like, you know what? I was supposed to have all this together on graduation day. And it was always remembering, you know what, I'm thankful that I was even able to go back home and have that place to, and that support to go to. Um, I I tell a lot of kids, students now, hey, leave home the right way, because you never know, you may have to go back. And I think it was them being able to give me that chance to, hey, come back, we're still here for you. It's going to work out. Just remember remember what your values. Yeah.
2: Hey, man, that's, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And you're an awesome person. So the product of that second chance is you right here, right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I have one big one. And it makes all the other ones seem not even important anymore because uh, I, w- I was born dead. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed wow. to be alive. Um, and I very much, my mother said to me, no one can explain it. It doesn't make sense. You weren't supposed to live. And when you, when you did, when you started breathing, it was so much time elapsed between, I mean, they don't know when I stopped breathing in the womb to the point of delivery, but it was at least 20 minutes in CPR of CPR, that they were like, let's be prepared. This she, she lost too much oxygen to her brain. She'll never be okay. And um, my mom was a woman of faith and she refused to accept that. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and said, I don't know what your plan is for her, Lord, but I know there is one. And and so, you know, sometimes when I think about that, I think, was that my second chance being born dead or was it being born again later, (laughs) right, as a seven-year-old? Um, that was my real second chance but yeah that that was it and as you were talking and i was thinking about those chances i was like wow you know i think i think that's really cool because we can all connect to a time when we got that chance
2: thank you for sharing that that's that's big that's a that's a yeah much, much, much respect to you and your mother um She can tell the
0: story without crying and I'm 40 years old and she's still her little lip quivers when she starts to tell it. I'm like, I
2: know, mom, I know,
0: but I'm here. I made it. So we we all three
2: know about those prayer
0: warriors, don't we? Yes. Yes. Well, I learned a lot, Monty. First of all, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your openness. Thank you for what you do every day and how you committed your life to others. And that's kind of what this is all about too. We've met some pretty altruistic people. Wow, your altruism is, it's off the chart. So thanks for being there for people doing what you do and coming on our podcast. We
1: love it so much that you joined us. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's program, like, subscribe, and review this podcast. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health support services, log on to tnvoices.org or call 1-800-670-9882. Join us next time as we get candid.